Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 132. Welcome to EntrepreneurOnFire.com, where remarkable entrepreneurs share their inspiring story. Let their journey illuminate your path to success. And now, your host, John Dumas. Fire Nation. I have received so many requests for a book detailing the step-by-step process of creating your own podcast. Well, the day has arrived. Podcast launch has hit the Amazon store. I share everything in this book and have included 15 incredible video tutorials that go along with the purchase. If you pick up podcast launch and enjoy, I would love a review on Amazon. Go to podcastlaunch.com to snag your copy and get instant access to all 15 video tutorials. That's podcastlaunch.com. And now let's give it up for our sponsor, Emily Chase Smith. You love EO Fire, and you'll love the Entrepreneur's Money Podcast. Hosted by Emily Chase Smith, a lawyer and entrepreneur, the Entrepreneur's Money Podcast gives you specific financial tactics for your toughest problems. With real-world experience and advice, the Entrepreneur's Money Podcast helps you bridge the financial gap and go on to your greatest successes. Okay, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Brendan Beneshot. Brendan, are you prepared to ignite? Absolutely. (laughs) All right, man. While completing a degree in chemical engineering from Princeton University, Brendan worked as a founder, CTO, developer, designer, and consultant for companies as diverse as SMS Prep, Zandigo, Tutor, and Lightspeed Venture Partners. He is currently co-founder and CEO of TopTal, an exclusive global network of top software engineers. Given Fire Nation a little overview, Brendan, but why don't you take a minute, tell us about you personally, we want to get to know you, and then give us an overview of your business. Sure. Uh, well, thanks so much for having me. And I, one quick correction there. It's, I'm the COO, not the CEO of TopTel right now. Um, I guess the uh, background there is, uh, like you said, we're kind of this exclusive global network of top, so- top software engineers. We have um, hundreds and hundreds of people scattered all over the globe, a lot of people in the U.S. and uh, South America. I'm in Rio right now doing some recruiting. Um, and we just have built this really cool sort of invite-only um, network of developers where that makes, that makes it very flexible for um, them to get really cool projects. And so we do a lot of stuff with startups in Silicon Valley and New York City and all over the world, actually. And on the um, client side or the company side, once they join TopTel, they can pull very flexibly from this group of uh, rigorously pre-screened guys. And uh, it's just a very sort of elite um, group of people, and it's a lot, we're doing a lot of exciting stuff. That sounds really exciting. And I can just draw a quick conclusion to somebody that I was just spending some time with at New Media Expo and Blogware, and that's Chris Ducker of Virtual Staff Finder. And that's what he did. He kind of just took the virtual assistant world and people can just go to Odesk and Elance and sift through just thousands and thousands of potential people, but not really know the background and the whole backbone behind that person, that individual. So he took it and you actually will just go to him, pay an upfront fee, and then get three people who are very qualified with background screening to your email. So you can go ahead and take it to the next level, knowing that these are three extremely qualified applicants. Is that what you see going forward with TopTal? Yeah, that's, it's, it seems it sounds very analogous. Um, 
we don't, we're not as formal in terms of you pay one fee and then you get uh, three resumes or something like that. But we are, I've been a developer for a long time and everybody at this company has been a developer and a hiring manager. We've worked at lots of companies, et cetera. And there is that sort of process. So when you're trying to scale up a team or build something, how do you find great developers? And in the U.S., everybody's already taken for the most part. Everybody's working at their, at a, on their own thing or they're working at Google or Facebook or something like that. And so you ask your, go through your personal networks. That usually doesn't work so well, um, but sometimes you can get lucky. After that, you go to maybe Monster.com or Odesk or Elances and some of these more open platforms, and you will get hundreds and of resumes, but for the most part, the quality is just not there. And so you have to do this very tedious uh, interview process. And if you're talking about something very technical that is uh, like software development, maybe you're hiring people to do something that you don't know how to do yourself, so it's extremely hard to, to screen people there. And so you end up doing dozens or maybe even hundreds of interviews to find one match. And then at the end of this process, you're still, there isn't a whole lot of guarantee there. These guys can fall off the radar. They can maybe just, they were great interviewers, but they're not great uh, freelancers. They're not great people to work with. And so there's a, a huge uh, gap here. And that's really what we're trying to solve by focusing uh, a dedicated set of resources that we, we've put together this elite group of engineers whose full-time job is to do that process. And so we go around the world to like math competitions and hackathons and things like that. And if we meet people that are interesting, we potentially invite them to join Top Talent in order to actually get in. They have to pass this set of screening steps that is everything from timed algorithm tests to interviews to live coding sessions and paired programming projects, et cetera. And if they get in and our acceptance rate is typically only a couple of percent, then they're part of this more elite group where clients come in and they only have to interview once, maybe twice. And then um, from there, they get this uh, a much more sure thing and a much, a much more um, professional process when they're trying to build software. Wow, that is absolutely a niche that needed to be filled. I love that you're filling in the way that you are. It just sounds great. But before we delve more into this, and we're going to, Brendan, just take 30 seconds. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm 25. Uh, I've been spending the last couple of years while I've work, been working on TopTel. Uh, I graduate, or we started TopTel kind of in my dorm room at, at Princeton. I was wrapping up a degree in chemical engineering. As soon as we, as soon as I graduated, uh, we picked up everything and we moved to Budapest for a lot of reasons. One, there's a lot of great developers in Budapest and Eastern Europe in general. But uh, we were running this from my dorm room um, and doing everything through Skype for the most part. And so, with that flexibility, I mean, it didn't matter if we were in my dorm room in in New Jersey or whether we were sitting in Silicon Valley or whether we were in Budapest. And so we made the strategic move to go to a place that uh, had a very, very low cost of, uh, cost of living and still had, you can still have a very awesome lifestyle there. I mean, I love Budapest. And um, we went there where you can pay yourself, pay yourself very, very little, still have a great life and basically feed back all revenue back into the company and drive growth. And so that was something that has been, I mean, that's, the question was something about me. That, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Like I like picking up and sort of, um, going to crazy places and traveling a lot at the same time, doing it uh, hopefully intelligently, and so that there's a lot of feedback there that ultimately helps you be successful. Um, before Princeton, I was a, a gymnast for 10 years. Um, I've been a part of a lot of startups. I think that's been a big part of my life since I was 12 and started building websites and things myself. Um, from 
uh, Reno Tahoe area in uh, Nevada and California, and so I had a lot of access to the universities there in Stanford growing up, and just have always been very lucky to have a, a really good group of people around me that were very motivated and had a lot of uh, great resources to pull from. I love that, Brendan. And what I pulled out of that mostly is that you right now with TopTal are really just fulfilling your authentic self. You're being you, you're being honest to your core. And that is what I'm finding is such a common trait with successful entrepreneurs is that they're really just being authentic to what they are passionate about, to what they believe in. So I definitely commend you for that. And let's use that to move into our next topic, which is going to be a success quote, because we love to get that motivational ball rolling here at Entrepreneur on Fire. And I know you have a great success quote for us from the founder of Dropbox. So why don't you kick it out? So this is Dan Levin. And uh, he said, if you're going to go fast enough to succeed, you're going to make mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, then you're going too slow and you'll never win. And it's all about how you deal with those mistakes. That's key. So take it down to the ground level, Brendan, because this is about you as our spotlight entrepreneur. How have you actually applied this principle, this mantra in real life? So when it comes to maybe anything, uh, I'm a little more conservative. I'm kind of the type that would think twice, code once, or think twice, cut, or measure twice, cut once type of, type of thing. And I think that comes from my, my father a lot. Um, and in entrepreneurship, that's sort of my tendency as well. And so I would normally take a lot of time, prepare everything, or this is my, my tendency. Uh, and then, then, then and only then um, be prepared to step, uh, step out and take a leap of faith. And this quote and uh, a lot of other things that I've been doing, including just uh, having more experience, really it has taught me that you don't always have to do that. You have to go fast and you're going to make mistakes. And it's one of the downsides of planning a lot and being conservative about your approach to things is that you're going to make mistakes anyway that you didn't account for. And so you probably just spent a lot of time planning for unknowns. And once they happened, you had to readjust and learn from them anyway. And so one, it's you don't have to be as hard on yourself when you do make mistakes. And two, it's just a, a more optimal way to approach things, especially when you're venturing into unknown areas like entre- entrepreneurship. Well, those are some great insights, and it's just a phenomenal lead-in to our next topic, which is failure or challenges or obstacles that as entrepreneurs, we face every single day. And we don't let these failures define us as people because we need to embrace them and use them to help us push the envelope and take us to that next level. And it sounds like you just have that mentality, Brendan. So take us back to a time in your journey when you failed, and then share with us how you overcame that failure. Sure. Uh, so after my freshman year at, at school, I took uh, a couple years off to dive into startups. I wasn't having a, I wasn't super passionate about school at the time. And um, Princeton's very fun, great about being able to take time off and then come right back in and pick up where you, you left off, et cetera. And I, cool. wanted, I wanted to get into entrepreneurship since I really felt that that was my calling. And so I did and uh, dove right into a bunch of different things and then settled down with uh, a a startup that was actually in Princeton. And we worked for a a year and a half or so, um, just nonstop. It was the first thing, first project like that for most of us. And it took this tremendous amount of energy. It was super exciting all the time, just this really uh, very much a roller coaster where one day you're talking about millions of dollars in funding or valuations and all these things. And the next day some little thing happens and it's, and it, you're, it's a huge new low for you. And it, it felt like trying to paddle across an ocean in a little rowboat or something. It was just great analogy all, all over the place. 
And I was, uh, it was my first major role as a developer and leading a team of really uh, top developers and things. And all of a sudden, um, what felt sudden to me anyway, we, we realized that what we were doing wasn't going to work. We started talking to a bunch of um, successful like venture capital type people and just realizing that th th this is going to require some major changes and probably some changes in terms of who is actually making up the, the team, et cetera. And after po having poured so much of my my life in so many all-nighters and so much energy and and honestly of my my own uh, self-esteem into the success of this company, learning that was extremely hard. And I realized that it probably wasn't going to be the right fit for me. I had to I, make some really hard choices about whether or not this was a sunk cost, whether or not I sh this was going to go forward, et cetera. And ultimately, I decided that it wasn't, uh, wasn't the right thing, at least for me. And so I, I left. And so I had this the first major startup that I had worked on, I, it wasn't a success. And so that was extremely hard. I think I take things very, very personally when I do them. I take a lot of pride in what I do. And so this was a, I felt like a failure, not my, not just this company. And so from there I had to, one, you're not, you don't have millions of dollars. Two, you don't have uh, the success where you can go out and raise a bunch of money to do your next venture and things like that because everybody knows that you're, all, all you hit is hit or home runs. Um, I had to go back to school, which I was paying for myself, and so I had this, I'm kind of in a crunch now, and so I took another year off of school where I essentially focused on just being a software developer. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to make uh, a, a decent amount of money. Um, it's you can get a lot of good experience, you meet a lot of cool people, you can, um, it's challenging, you learn a lot, etc. And so that's what I started doing as an independent freelancer, and then that came with its own um, bag of of difficulties and challenges. And so the biggest challenge there was not the coding or anything itself. I mean, you can figure that out and there's so many resources on the internet. You can, you can definitely pick that up. Uh, it was learning how to sell. And I, that was very not, very much not me as a person. I never felt like I was a, a natural salesman. I don't even feel comfortable selling or I didn't at the time. Um, at the previous startups I had worked at, I always thought the sales guys had it very easy that they just kind of take which, which you like the smart guys built and then they just have to put it in front of people and then it just stores it sells itself and they get lots of commissions and they have a nice a, a very nice deal there um and that's not how it works at all at least not in my experience and so learning how to sell when i'm have i'm the only one on this team essentially i have to sell myself is a force me to grow in a lot of different ways and um that a lot of that is uh experience that i draw on daily with top uh it's a very interesting and uh, unique set of skills there, and so that's that's one of the been, been one of the biggest challenges. But I think I've overcome that pretty successfully, and that's been extremely helpful every day since then. Those are some great lessons learned from that failure, Brendan. Now, for those listeners that are like, "Yeah, software development that sounds great," if you could just share with them right now with your cutting edge knowledge and experience, what you would do if you were somebody starting out right now that was looking to get into that. What would you do? Just dive in as, as as fully as possible. I would probably go to Coursera or go to Code Code Academy or Code Academy. Um, maybe get some books, other things like that. Pull up IRC um, and just start building things. Maybe read one book or take one of the courses there, and then immediately start working on something that I was passionate about. Because you can go through all these courses and these books and things and do all of the examples, but they don't. 
unless you just have perfect recall, which I don't think anybody does, that's not the most that's not the most helpful thing you can do. You really need to say, okay, I have this idea for this iPhone application that does this, this, and this, and this is what I want to start building. And so you should just start building. And it's gonna, you're going to have to rebuild it and refactor it several times, but you're using it as, um, as your learning material. And so your own learning, your own learning curve there. And the fact that you're building something for yourself is going to make it a lot easier to actually um, learn from it and then not give up and still be passionate about it and always want to you know, pull all-nighters and you know, sort of thing where you go to bed thinking about it and the first thing you do when you wake up is you're in the shower, you have a new idea about it, about how to do something better, etc. So that's, that's how I would recommend do, approaching it. And that was Code Academy and what was your other recommendation? I think Coursera and uh, Udemy has some other ones. If you're in sort of the startup hubs in the U.S., there's uh, General Assembly, all sorts of on-site things where you're doing it in groups and at various incubators and accelerators, et cetera. I think they're all really good resources. But ultimately, it's going to come down to you probably sitting alone at your computer, uh, maybe listening to techno or classical music or something, and you're working on something for yourself, and 12 hours go by, and you, you, it felt like a, a snap of your fingers because it's you're so into it. <laughs> Great visual, Brendan. And we're going to use that to transition now to our next topic, which is the aha moment. As entrepreneurs, we are blessed with these little aha moments that happen daily, weekly, but every now and then we do have that big light bulb that just comes on, the clouds part, the sun shines through. Brendan, have you had a moment at some point in your journey that you really felt like a huge light bulb went off? And if so, how did you take that moment and turn it into success? We had uh, some pretty big aha moments with TopTal because this is a huge problem. Um, just, uh, the fact that the demand for software engineers far, out, far exceeds the supply, uh, especially, especially in the U.S. So this is something I had felt over and over. Um, I had seen both sides of the equation, so working as a developer and then also as uh, an entrepreneur trying to scale teams and also at some bigger companies trying to scale teams. Just how do you do this? And it's very, very difficult. It's a very complicated problem. And my, uh, I was living in Palo Alto for a while during some of my time off uh, from school. And one of my neighbors was uh, this guy, Tasso Duval, who's now my co-founder in TopTal. And when I was working on another project, SMS Prep, um, when I was back at school, I was incubating at Lightspeed Venture Partners in, in Menlo Park. And I was in this problem again. I was trying to build out a to scale out a team to do some more stuff for this company, and was just falling, coming up short everywhere I looked. So, so we posted jobs, job descriptions all over the place. You post on Odesk, Elance, etc. We're just burning through resumes, and and it's it's almost a joke. I mean, you can post something post something on an Odesk or an Elance with a completely bogus job description saying you're requiring somebody with 50 years of experience in in you know like kai-fi development or something that's just not doesn't even exist and you will get job applications claiming that the right person it's saying hi i'm here this is me and i have exactly the description that you're looking for and (laughs) it's obviously not obviously you don't it's not even possible um and so this aha moment was my Co-founder now, Tasso, was sort of flirting with this idea of a TopTal-like concept. And he hooked me up with uh, one of the very first developers in what would eventually become TopTal. And it solved all these problems instantly. And so this was 
at the time I thought it was just his personal network and that's, you know, I just scored. I happened to find somebody that knew somebody that was available and I got lucky. And so it was a combination of luck and persistence, I guess. But it was only after a couple of months in working and being super happy with this just ridiculously smart guy out of Argentina, um, Tasso's father was in, uh, was in New York City. I was back in Princeton, so in my dorm room um, in my senior year, and Tasso's father became very ill with, uh, with a cancer. And so he's terminally ill with cancer, and Tasso had to move, basically go to New York City to take care of him because his father was, was dying, and he needed a break from this. And he asked me if he could come to Princeton and just uh, sort of take a breather and, uh, from everything. And it was when he came to Princeton, we talked a lot about what, how awesome this guy was in Argentina that I was working with and how, how we found him and what everything just Tasso was, was looking at. And he was noticing all these patterns and saying, like, I think we can actually scale what I did here in terms of finding this, uh, this guy, Ignacio. And so we talk about this a lot. And it was really as the two of us were talking there that I, I said, okay, we need to reevaluate and we need to focus all on this because I think that we can solve this. We can create a system that is broad enough that it can capture any sort of developer and we essentially just have to find extremely smart people and then do through some um, technical art type testing and evaluating and we can create something that's an, uh, that is only elite developers and then that will solve a problem that everybody in the tech community and everybody uh, in almost any job space, I mean every, even little stores and banks and things have huge tech, tech teams or a little website. Um, that was a big aha moment, thinking that we can actually scale this and the demand is obviously there. That's powerful, Brendan. And now I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Even though you're 25 years old, have you had an I've made it moment? Sure. Actually, definitely. Um, it's funny. You said you interviewed Tim Ferriss yesterday. I think he would get a kick out of this. Uh, so when we moved to Budapest after we after I finished up school, we set up shop there and we just traveled all around Europe and have this very almost this. We have a little office in Palo Alto, but we don't use it for much more than a mailbox because we are essentially 100% virtual company. All of us travel all over the place. Most of us have never even met, and there are hundreds of people in this company. Um, an aha moment was. I was in Budapest living, the cost of living is so low. I mean, you can pay yourself nothing and live like a king there. And so this lifestyle there where I'm seeing people in, in San Francisco, they're making lots of money, but still the cost of living is so high that they're not able to do a lot of things they want. They're slaving away at some company they may or may not like. They're not their own boss, et cetera. Meanwhile, I'm living freely and we're both living freely all over Europe, traveling, just meeting extremely smart people all over the place. We can you know, pick up a, all you need is a laptop and an internet connection and you can um, and Skype, I guess, and you can work on TopTel. And it was, and there were all these opportunities there. And so I had opportunities to go to, to Georgia and meet the prime minister and just uh, travel all over Italy and Germany and go to Oktoberfest and you meet developers and things like that. And all of this is part of TopTel and it's creating value for TopTel. But one instance was, stood out um, amongst all of these more than anything. And this requires a little bit of backstory. Um, of all the people that we met in Budapest, we met these uh, really awesome group of British people that owned a, a polo team, like, like horses, like legitimate polo team. And they invited us to come play with them because they weren't, uh, the horses I think were just standing around a lot of the time. They wanted to get, have a more formal, like active group of people and being young guys and adventurous and everything. We had this amazing opportunity to start playing polo all the time. 
And so we started doing that. And so instead of going to the gym or taking a break and going for a walk around the block or something, I would rented a little car in, in Budapest and would jump, jump in and go to a field that was 30 or 45 minutes away and go play a, a game of polo. Wow. So I started playing polo matches and things like that. And this, one of these aha moments was I had play, scored a goal in this polo match. And just, polo is this amazing sport where you're riding this enormous animal that goes incredibly fast and it's like playing hockey on steroids where you're just crashing into other people and it's just very, very exhilarating and tons of adrenaline. And so I I jump off my, my pony, somebody takes the, takes the reins, my phone starts ringing, I take off my helmet and I get on the phone and I, I'm talking to a client, a new client. And so I'm back to the selling phase again, two seconds after getting off of a horse, I'm covered in sweat and everything. And 10 minutes later, this client or this potential client was a real client and this was a big deal for us. And it was right then, I was like, wow, this is, this is a really, I've made it moment. I can't imagine a better day. And things like that happen all the time here. Man, I just got really caught up in that moment right there. That was really powerful. I love the visuals that you just share with us, Brendan. And it truly just makes me want to pack up and move over to Budapest or one of these Eastern European countries and, and get on my own polo team. I mean, what's going on? You should. <laughs> so, Brendan, we're going to move now into what is going on right now at TopTal. You have a lot of great things that are going on in different areas, but if you can just pull out one thing that's really exciting you, what would that be? The obvious thing is is growth. I mean, we grew about 400% last year, and we're doing about $5 million a year, and it looks like we, we're going to try to do another 400% growth spurt this year. So that's all obviously exciting. But what is beyond that, um, TopTel is this really cool company in that everybody here is just so smart and driven. Because it's, I think that in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to surround yourself by really smart people and hopefully people that are smarter than you are. And with TopTel, kind of our product, so to speak, is really smart people. And so as we scale our company, this sort of idea that you need to surround yourself by extremely smart people takes care of itself. And it really helps us in a lot of ways where people come to us or people that join TopTal as developers have great ideas all the time or they want to get more involved in a core role, et cetera. Or if we need to scale and we have a need for a new salesperson or a project manager or something like that, I can pull up our, I can go to our sort of virtual warehouse of developers, take anybody off the shelf and ask them to, if they're interested in doing this. And almost always the answer is yes. And so that's this huge problem of, of staffing for, entre for entrepreneurs is, has largely been taken care of just by the nature of what we do. And so I think that that's definitely the thing that I'm most excited about. And I've done this several times recently, and it works extremely well. Just on a quick side note, what has been some of your major marketing wins as far as has TopTal been a mostly word of mouth growth, or have you really had some big scores in the marketing world as well? Um. It started primarily with word of mouth, uh, which was great. I mean, you just, because uh, it's, it's free, essentially. I mean, you just do a really good job with people and do everything you can to make sure they have a great experience. And then they refer their, their friends, and usually the, those people refer friends. And so there's some virality there. Um, when we wanted to really hit the accelerator on that growth, because we thought we really had something, um, we, we tried a bunch of different things. So we hired some, the first idea was, okay, let's hire people that are specialists here. Let's hire some MBA types or salespeople, um, business developers, uh, CMO types. 
and uh, get them in the door and have them lead this. And that didn't work as well as we were hoping each time. And I, I, I have a lot of ideas about why that may have been. But um, one of them is that I think in this industry, the reputations are generally so bad and the standards are, are very, very low that if you're going out and trying to do an outbound sales approach, you, it's very hard to stand out. So if you're trying to say, if you're going out to companies or doing an email campaign or something, you look just like every other, everybody else who may, is all over the world and you just blend into sort of the, the other marketplaces that are already out there and it's hard to stand out unless you're getting this referral from people. And so figuring out how to drive an inbound lead process versus an outbound lead process and then be able, being able to control that. Um, so when I say control, it's, it's important for us because we have a marketplace. There's two, there's two sides of this equation. You have available developers or a certain number of developers, and then you have clients. And if there's 10 times as many clients as developers, that's not a good situation to be in. And if you have the opposite, that's also not a very good situation to be in. If most of your developers can't get jobs with you, then they're going to disappear and then you're not creating value for them. And so balancing this has been really interesting. And so there's, we've come up with a lot of ways to sort of massage and incentivize the referral process and uh, do some inbound marketing stuff. And that's been very, very helpful, but it's been a, a, one of the biggest challenges here. Thank you for sharing that strategy. And that moves us directly into the lightning round, Brendan. This is where I get to ask you a series of questions and you come back at us, Fire Nation, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Does that sound like a plan? Sure. <laughs> All right. What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur? I don't think anything's ever held me back. I started making websites in a little company for my parents, you know, doctors and their friends and things like that when I was 11 or 12 and have just kept at it ever since. Nice. What is the best business advice you ever received? Um, honestly, I, I, I think that quote from uh, Dan Levin, just the idea that it's okay to make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes and it's about how you recover from those mistakes that's important because otherwise you just get paralyzed even like sort of overthinking things in the beginning or you just take it too too seriously when you do make mistakes after after the fact what do you regret doing or not doing at some point in your journey and what lesson did you learn i'm not sure that i have any big regrets uh, I mean, there are little things all over the place I wish I had done better, but um, I really like how I took, went across the country to a place that I had never been and went to school, then took some time off and then learned a lot of stuff about entrepreneurship. And I made every mistake you can make during that time. And so I guess I would have liked to just had home runs the whole time, but I didn't. Um, but then going back to school after that, I had a whole new appreciation for school. I took it much more seriously and I was much more successful after that. And then starting something in my dorm room twice um, was really great as well. Um, it means I graduated. I didn't have to do this job search or go into banking or something like that. I could leave school and I was immediately my own boss. And then picking up and moving across the world and um, pretty much traveling nonstop ever since. I mean, these are things that I would recommend every, everybody w should do. And it's, there are a lot of, I think, misconceptions about what is and what isn't possible there. And I think any of this stuff is possible with the technology and Skype and the ways to collaborate now that you don't even need an office. And you can have a, a, a company that's making tens of millions of dollars and you can live like you're an independent freelancer and completely your own boss and on a permanent vacation. Love it. If you could only choose two websites to obtain all the information needed to succeed, 
what would they be and why? Uh, Quora. I'm a Quora addict. I spend a lot of time on Quora every single day. And I think that's a, a huge, huge resource. Um, a second one for to succeed, I mean, if you want to learn to, to code and things like that, I, there would be um, Stack Exchange or things like that uh, that are going to be very helpful in terms of um, having a big, a big um, community there to support you when you're coming up with new, new problems or you're discovering old problems, et cetera, as you're trying to build your own things. So just in about 30 seconds, Brendan, how have you used Qora successfully? I use it all the time for to to learn anything about everything. Uh, it's it's a question and answer site that's linked to Facebook, and so you have uh, where it's not. It differs from Yahoo Answers or something like that. Um, there's the you know who's answering questions there, and you can ask specific people to answer questions. And so you could post a question and have uh, the the CEO of Wikipedia answer it, um, or ask him to answer it directly, and he will. And there's all sorts of interactions like there, and so. What I learned from Quora is everything about like interesting, fast, uh, interesting aspects of like specific World War II battles, and also interesting ways to to sort an algorithm or to um, or to optimize an algorithm, or a different way to create or a channel to explore inbound marketing. Um, there's something for everybody there, and I use it nonstop. Do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with that you can share with our listeners? I do. Um, and full disclaimer, we actually built this because uh, it's something that we wanted. Great. Um, but it's been very, very helpful, and it's collabshot.com. It's um, essentially a real-time image editing collaboration tool. And so if you're working with a team of designers or people all over or developers and you're trying to build things, uh, instead of sending screenshots back and forth and, and uh, having to pull up Photoshop and do some doodles or do some screen shares and things like that, um, with this, you essentially press a hotkey and you get a, you can do a, carve out a square on your, whatever you see on your screen, it will automatically upload to an inter, to a, um, place on the internet. And then you just control V or paste the link to the person and they can see exactly what you see. And you can start drawing on it or typing notes, et cetera, um, in real time. So they, almost the exact same second that you're doing or the instant that you're doing it, they're seeing it on the other end. And just explaining all the little things, especially when you're building anything, you're working with people in different areas, you're saying, look, like, look how Facebook does it. And you pull up this thing and you take a little collab shot of it and then it goes into this little window and you're saying, you see how they just indent right here? This is, I think this is really effective for this reason and this reason. And so maybe we should think about doing something like that. And this, when you're building things in a, in a team where you're working with you know, multiple people, these little interactions take a lot of time and a lot gets lost if you if you can't communicate this correctly and so and efficiently and so this has been tremendously helpful for us when it it's, I mean, it's totally free we built it just because we thought it because we wanted it and i mean everybody's welcome to use it great stuff i will link that up in the show notes for sure if you could recommend a book for fire nation what would it be um i really like the leadership pill by uh, ken blanchard and it's, it's very short. I mean, you can read it in probably a couple of hours. It's a little parable about uh, uh, this company that creates this pill that they call the leadership pill. And it, people take this and they become able to work for 48-hour stints and they're super motivated and are able to do all the things that I think a lot of people value um, when it comes to the hard work or effective work. And it is this 
it, it very cleverly and very simply um, it goes through um, the idea of why that's really not such a good thing. And so you have this very seasoned or the, this effective manager who comes in and says, this is a terrible idea. And set, proposes this experiment where he takes a team of people that don't use it versus a team of people that do and shows how it breaks down. And so right, at, right out the gate, the guys taking the pills are staying up all night and they're super effective and all this productivity, but they very quickly start burning out. And then it just shows simply in this parable format that that's not the right way to approach things. And there's much more intelligent ways to do things for the medium and longer, long-term benefit. And that's ultimately what you should care about anyway. So it's like I said, super simple, but I, I've read it a couple of times and I think it's something that everybody should read. Nice. I actually downloaded it to my Kindle Fire as you were giving the summation. So thank you for that. Brendan, you've given us some great actionable advice this entire interview and we are all better for it. Give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance, then tell us how we can connect with you and then we'll say goodbye. If you want to, if you're thinking about entrepreneurship or thinking about starting something, I would recommend just take the, take the leap of faith and just start, just do it. And you're going to make mistakes and that's totally fine. Everyone will. And when you do, don't take it too, too seriously. And there's, there's no reason to delay. There's just no excuse. If this is what you're passionate about, you should just absolutely do it. You can always connect with me at my email is brendan at toptal.com. Uh, it's B-R-E-A-N-D-E-N at toptal.com. Um, I'm also on uh, Quora a lot, which my, I think my username is Brendan. Um, also Skype. My Skype ID is SMS prep. Very cool. Thank you for being so generous with your time, Brendan, your expertise and your experience. Fire Nation salutes you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, John. Fire Nation is an incredibly passionate and engaged audience. An entrepreneur on fire gets over 150,000 unique downloads every month. If you have a product or service that you know would resonate with Fire Nation, go to sponsoreofire.com and join past sponsors like Chris Brogan, who saw incredible results. That's sponsoreofire.com. Thank you for joining us at entrepreneuronfire.com, your daily dose of inspiration. Prepare to ignite.